welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. I am Ryan Henderson. This is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. I am joined today. Apparently, I'm doing the hosting today. So, this, oh, do we have a, am I having a hiccup here? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so, Ryan. <laughs> okay. I'm getting a weird, getting a weird message from YouTube. I'm hosting today. This is a little backwards. Usually Brett's the host, um, but Brett is vacationing. I should say I'm also joined by Brett Schaefer. Um, but yeah, this is our investing power hour. Brett, how is California? It is magical. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a little too strong, but uh, I have been Tahoe right now and a lot of golfing, a lot of lake days, a lot of hiking. So yeah, cannot complain. Uh, but we have one of these to do every week and I'm excited to talk earnings for the next hour because I think we could go three hours on all these reports. It's that time of year where we just have endless amount of stuff to read and the backlog is growing. So excited to dig into it. What was, what's the one on your mind that you're the most excited to talk about? Um, Doug and a match group stuff. I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought t- Nintendo was interesting, but I didn't have enough time to look through everything. And it usually takes a little bit to dig through all of Nintendo stuff. Um, trying to think about yeah. that one. Sprouts reported. Um, I'm seeing on, I'm watching the thing for the comments. You should change it to gallery view. Gallery it's on, view. it's on single right now. Yeah. Boom. Um, I don't know. Sprouts match group, Amazon reports today. That'll be really interesting. What's your prediction on that? It's bound to be wrong. It's kind of it's a coin flip, but if it's bound to be wrong, then I'm going to say big miss. The, uh, <laughs> no, I don't. They always, I don't know. They they are the ones that really don't care. It seems like about the quarterly earnings, and or at least the executive team seems to not care that much. So we'll see. I haven't really thought about it that hard in terms of what's happened this quarter, but. Based off GCP and Azure, I would bet AWS has done well, um, which I think will drive the majority of the stock reaction. We'll see. And then I guess it was surprising to me to figure out that AWS was twice as large as Azure. So, mm-hmm. or not twice, but a little, little under twice as large. So that was definitely a positive, but that's already probably priced in. And then I'm trying to think of anything else. Retail, who knows on profitability for retail, as long as I think e-commerce trends are positive, they should benefit. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, we'll see. And it's always, yeah, they got a lot of moving parts. There's also the seven stuff that still could be rolling through. I'm sure there's an analyst out there or the best analysts always cover Amazon because it's one of the biggest companies in the world. So I'm sure they have it narrowed down to an absolute T, but that's not really our game. What do you want to hit first? I was reading Nintendo this morning. I thought it was interesting. I am disappointed that they don't give out a bookings number for their company because, you know, with video game sales, you have to defer a lot of the revenue and they don't really talk about that. And I think with the movie as well, I was, they don't really give much commentary and how much that's going to earn, whether all the earnings they got from that movie was in this one quarter or whether it was, you know, going to be deferred to to later quarters because, you know, the the profitability jump in that segment for their non-gaming stuff was high. But if that was their entire earnings from the movie, that would be shockingly low. I think, would you agree? Or maybe what are your thoughts on Nintendo quarter? Yeah. For a business that, for a movie that did $1.3 billion, $1.4 billion, the box office, I would be very surprised if, what was it? 30 million yen. Uh, Yeah. And I think some of that's mobile gaming and other licensing. So I would say the jump was 20 billion yen. 30 billion. 
Sorry. I, yeah. I said million. So that's about 140 million USD for them in total revenue from that. Uh, I would think over the lifetime, they would be cl- pushing closer to 500, 600 million because of the split with Comcast and all that good stuff. But we'll see. Either way, that's a solid boost. Yeah, it does feel low. Maybe we are wrong on the economics of it, but it's also, I think the at-home sales are more profitable. So I'll be curious to see kind of this next quarter, what they get from it. Um, the Zelda looked good. The Wouldn't you say the bookings is kind of priced in in the guidance though? I think so. But the thing with Nintendo, which also is frustrating or where you have to read through the tea leaves where you saw a lot of analysts this quarter really underpriced their revenue and profitability is they're going to under, they're going to conservatively guide or be way too conservative with their guide. So I don't know if it's priced in because, okay, let me do some math. They did what? 18.5 million units, right? For Zelda. Let's say what average price 60, just because international markets in the US was $70. Do 18.5 times 60. That's over a billion dollars in or $1.1 billion in revenue. You got some marketing costs on there. Typically, a game they say is break even at two to three million unit sales. So you got about 15 million units of pure profit there. I think that is they pretty much made their year already. And it was really, I think, what a good chunk of their guidance was already hit in the first quarter. So all yeah, around, all, all around, great report. I thought. Is this their? Is this considered their Q two? It's not. Q one. Q one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's just hilarious to, frankly, to like log in, open that PDF, see sales up sixty percent, operating profit up one hundred eighty percent, stock up one percent it's like it is just kind of funny to see the figures and how much people seem to just not trust nintendo's ability to continue Mm -hmm. performance now i mean obviously there is probably a lot of lumpiness associated with that because of the release of the mario movie and more so the release of the zelda game um yeah, I will be curious to see how much of that Zelda revenue kind of carries forward. It seemed like it had a good impact and maybe the Mario movie as well on hardware sales. Yeah, for sure. And they're just trying to bridge that gap till the next launch, which there was that rumor. They always take them with a grain of salt that is coming in 2024, which seems the most likely given that well, they're doing that new kind of Mario game for the holiday season and then closing out Mario Kart expansion pack in early 2024. Seems like sometime in that time period will be the right uh, window. It just depends whether they're going to do it in the beginning of the year or holiday season 2024. I think it'd be pretty cool if they did holiday season 2024 and launched with a couple of flagship games, probably the new Mario Kart, maybe the new Mario 3D one and some other stuff, but we'll see. It is not baked into their guidance, that's for sure. No, not for this fiscal year. That is true. They have been increasing their R&D spend, though, and I would have to dig into the actual earnings report, their actual earnings release, and look at the balance sheet, but I wonder if they built up some inventory. We'll see. We'll see. And I think those semiconductor companies or the chip companies or the manufacturers who have been reporting this, that they're going to get an increasing you know, sales because they contracted for a new console from a video game publisher kind of guarantee or not publisher excuse me video game hardware maker i think that kind of guarantees that nintendo's in the process of building one because it's not going to be xbox or playstation at the moment yeah the bummer is we've been saying that for three years you just never know (laughs) look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, we got a good comment here on from James Goodwin, who always joins uh, WD, WBD call, which is Warner Brothers Discovery, was good. $1.7 billion in Q2 free cash flow, debt coming down, D to C business is break even, and Barbie has broken $1 billion at global box office, which will feed through to Q3. Yeah, it's interesting. Barbie was a Warner Brothers, I guess he's saying. and. Watch that. No, I watched Oppenheimer though. It was good. I the Barb, the Barbenheimer combo. You didn't go back to back. No, <laughs> can't say that appealed to me. But I heard it was good for for those that are interested. But given those numbers, I guess we don't have we don't follow Warner Brothers Discovery at all. If D 2 C is break even already, I think that's interesting. As long as the Max transition didn't totally blow up that business. Yeah, I think the max transition didn't really end up mattering that much. Like everyone just knows it's HBO. I think HBO you can be, put pretty much any name on it. HBO is, yeah, and it's one of the key subsections under there. I think it's going to be fine. I know like some people are going to want to watch the Discovery Channel type stuff, and some people are going to be wanting to watch the HBO type stuff. You go into the app, you click the HBO thing, it gives you all the HBO stuff. And I think what's interesting here is that HBO is so efficient with their marketing spend. That or yeah. no, excuse me, excuse me, that marketing spend, content spend. Yeah, that I mean, they're, they're they can the have best. higher. Yeah, they can have higher profit margins than really anyone else. They don't have to put out ten shows like Netflix to cover everything. They can put out one show. People are going to watch it. You know, it's going to be good. Or and yet they break even. Yeah, but I think that's pretty good. I mean, when was the transition done? Just a couple of years ago. I don't know, but it. <sighs> It would worry me for someone that I think is really efficient with their content spending and seems to be sort of a in the, what do they call it? The something Geist, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. The zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. Right. So it's a popular kind of culturally for a business like that to be break even. It kind of worries me for the companies that, don't get so much word of mouth marketing. Like how, how are they going to do? It would kind of concern me if I were in the streaming business and I wasn't. Yeah. The the whole industry seems screwed. There's just, it's a supply bubble. Maybe not bubble, but it's just a supply glut and it's just way too hard. There's so much competition and Younger people are going away, further and further away from this type of stuff. I mean, I'm with people, younger cousins this week. They don't care about any of this stuff at all. Great time to be a consumer, though. Great. Yeah. I mean, infinite choice. I, I This Hollywood strike you go on for years. I could care less because there's so much stuff that is just sitting on these streaming services that I'll watch maybe, you know, once, you know, when I need a new show or something like that. But yeah. What have you been watching streaming wise the most of the last month? Like what channel or yeah. app? Uh, Netflix or maybe not Netflix. I want to watch some of their. The only thing I go to Netflix now is those sports documentaries, but I've been watching a little bit of Apple TV, a little bit of Max, but that's strictly because I have logins to it. So <laughs> the, but yeah, Apple, Apple and HBO have good stuff or Max, excuse me. And I think. That's not an investing thesis, thesis, but I don't know. It's 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 there. I I, I don't think those. I think those can be less helpful. Like when someone says, "Oh, I watch this, so I should buy." It. Like, "Oh, I watch HBO Max, so I should buy Warner Brothers Discovery." I think a lesson there is. I mean, we've done it before. We've made that mistake. We're trying to learn that lesson is when you use something, doesn't necessarily make it a buy, but it can be a good helpful indicator. But you got to look at maybe the business first and see, okay, well, I might like this thing, but the business could still be screwed. Yeah. It's, 
it's probably you think it's hurt you more than it's helped you the what the, what do they call it anecdotal evidence the phil it's kind of the phil fisher thing there's like oh yeah yeah um, buy what you know yeah i think it's been pretty neutral some stuff has been hurtful some stuff has been helpful but i think the lesson is by what I, you know I mean, it's 30 times earnings yeah we i think the mistake we we've made is just buying what you know but not having the price discipline is when you have the mistake so i think if we keep that i mean it's very helpful i think there's a lot of discussion i think there was a comment on twitter i haven't been on twitter much this week but i did see that there was a comment and a large discussion about informational edge and i don't think you technically have an informational edge where all the information is out there but most people are not reading information uh, like it actually shocks me again and again and again how little information people are reading uh, that's actually there of the companies they own. And there's also the, for us, for people that aren't in the big, you know, have all the big informational advantage, we don't have Bloomberg terminals, whatever you want to describe it as. Understanding like what's actually happening in the real world and what you're actually seeing your friends and the people you interact with doing can be one of your only edges you have. I think. Do you agree or disagree? I think, well, I think you know your answer, but. Yeah. I honestly think that's one of my biggest pet peeves. And I wanted, you know what I wanted to do for this episode was what's the, pardon my take. They do like a Mount Rushmore. I think I was, I wanted to do like a Mount Rushmore of investing pet peeves. And the guy that says like, what's your edge here is maybe up there on my Mount Rushmore. It's like, we'll, we can do that or, next week. Or the, the biases guy, the like, oh, that's endowment bias. Or like, that's, you know, uh, you're anchoring or it's like, I, I don't care. I just think it's a good investment. So yeah, yeah I, I do. The what's my edge guy is a big frustration for me. Um, I thought I found something kind of interesting this week. If I can find it, it was, um, about a Buffett interview from a while back here. Okay. Yeah. James Goodwin says just reading a 10 K is an edge. And I would say yes, because there's so many people out there that are not actually, I'm not joking. They don't, they're not reading that. So if you're reading that, you can get an edge because there's information I found on companies and I like tweeted out or something and people are like, Whoa, I didn't know that It's like some mystery, but continue. Go ahead. Yeah. And, that, you know, that's interesting. It's like, I remember when we, when I first started, a lot of people said like your time horizon is an edge. And I was like, eh, you know, like whatever, that's not really, but it a hundred percent is like, if you just don't care that there was some goodwill impairment or something that like hurt short-term profitability, like, and you just know that whatever the company is, let's take Google, for example, if if you're not worried about the short-term fluctuations in like ad revenue and you just, change, yeah, you're going to benefit because the rest of the people, the people that need a quarter's earnings um, or, need, or need like a quarterly performance, they have to care. And so it's like, it's, I feel like that's why I checked out like my grandparents' portfolio not that long ago, and they just owned like stuff where they were satisfied as a customer. And my grandpa knew what he was doing when he was investing. Your satisfied customer looked at it and said, Yeah, this makes sense. Management seems to care, and they've grown over their history. And it worked out really, really well for them if they, because they ended up holding them. The holding period was like 20 years. And I don't know. I know it's simplistic, but it well, like- I, yeah, I think it's one of those lessons that, and it may be the bull market target talking with the S&P uh, PE ratio okay. is what, uh, 26, 27 now again. Uh, but I still think the lesson applies regardless of where the market is trading and actually applies probably more now. Because they're, you know, you could have made a good investment in late 2022. We think we made some solid purchases in that time period when prices were a little cheaper. If you buy the right company with the right management team at the right price, the best outcome is you never sell. Yeah. 
And anyway. most man, most management teams that are good will not let their stock price stay at, you know, a super inflated, whatever, 10 times overvalued where you'd be probably forced to sell. They would, as Buffett says, the best outcome is not to get, he was frustrated. Like what was it? 98 when they were kind of overvalued with Berkshire, the best outcome is for the stock to be very close or around intrinsic value. That's the best outcome for everyone. Yeah. All right. Let me give this quote. So it was Alice, Schr- someone was interviewing, I think it's Alice Schroeder or Alice Schrader um, about Buffett, you know, kind of like, what's his process? You know, what, he, why is he different? And so, um, I mean, this is a long quote, but basically I'll go, I'll, I'll start from here. It says, number one, in his classic investments, he expands a lot of energy expends a lot of energy, checking out details and ferreting out nuggets of information way beyond the balance sheet. He would go back and look at the company's history in depth for decades. He used to pay people to attend shareholder meetings and ask questions for him. He checked out the personal lives of people who ran the companies he invested in. He wanted to know about their financial status, their personal habits, what motivated them. He be, he behaves like an investigative journalist. All this stuff about flipping through Moody's manuals, picking stocks, it was a screen for him, but he didn't stop there. I, th- I I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, I and this was if- the older. This is when he was younger, following the smaller companies, right? Probably, but you know, it might still apply today in some ways. Someone was like, "All of you think he bought Apple because it was just a good business, and it was like the he liked the product or whatever." But really, he was checking out Tim Cook's mortgage. Or something, and knew that he needed to meet mortgage payments. That's an exaggeration, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I doubt Tim Cook has a mortgage. Uh, maybe he does, but that, it's irrelevant. He's too well. He's rich. It doesn't matter. But I think he definitely investigated Tim Cook because Tim Cook seems like the type of CEO he wants: long-term thinking, rational capital return strategy, consistent capital return strategy, and not. I mean, it seems like the classic ones he likes to go after. With you know, attached to obviously a strong consumer brand. Uh, the other uh, the other thing I was looking at this week, which it's kind of the uh, transition here, was I, it took me a while to get to the Philip Morris earnings, Philip Morris International. I can't help but be butthurt every time I read those reports. Yeah, I know. Instead of owning, instead of Zen being the, the biggest driver of growth, it's like, what, less than 10% of the business right now, but... It, yeah, it sucks because so we were irritating. right. We were right about the inflection point for volumes going across the U.S. And uh, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, you can't be upset when you lose money, but or sorry, don't lose money. But I kind of think we could be because it was the compounder that was the one that you never sell. But I don't want to talk about it every every quarter. I mean, what did you think though? Solid solid quarter all around. Yeah. I mean, I also just looked at the Altria earnings and watching them, I think volumes declined eight and a half percent year over year, cigarette volumes for them. It's it's nice to kind of be right on a thesis for the right reasons because we've been right for the wrong reasons before. And this one kind of feels validating because part of our thesis was, hey, it's a little more expensive than the other tobacco players, but Philip Morris, not Altria. Philip Morris. But they have far and away the best reduced risk product business, which seems to be the future. And volumes for their markets aren't declining at nearly the rate of Altria's market. So it seemed like kind of a fat pitch in terms of business model and rel- where, like, I mean, we like the tobacco business to begin with because it's sticky, there's pricing power, low cost to produce. Um, very, very profitable, rational management teams. And then it was also kind of had that growth engine of reduced risk products. So we liked it. And it seems like based on the limited declines in cigarette volumes for Philip Morris, I think it was what, minus half a percent year over year for the cigarette business. It it feels like we're right compared because we were considering Ultra as well. Yeah. And at the right price, Ultra is probably a which I would say maybe a 10% dividend yield, given the risk of the management uh, recent history not being, I would say, just to be fair, not strong 
I think would be a conservative way to put it. Yeah. And Philip Morris's overall volumes are growing. So if you consolidate both the risk reduced products, which again is like the nicotine pouches, tobacco free stuff, the, the heat not burn products, they're growing on a consolidated basis when you add the cigarette business, which is slightly declining and will continue to decline. So, yeah. And I think what's interesting when you look at Altria, um, some of the other companies with big exposure to tobacco in the United States is I think when these risk reduced products kind of hit an inflection point in certain areas, and we could see it when we bring in the new products as they slowly get approved by the FDA. Uh, Philip Morris is bringing back the ICOS product to the Americas. You could see potentially cigarette volumes decline at an even faster rate. And, you know, that could hurt Philip Morris's business in international markets in the short run, but they're the ones with the two biggest brands that are going to benefit over the long term from these. And there are some risks, uh, you know, taxes are always a risk if they increase with these risk reduced products. There's foreign exchange risks, specifically with Philip Morris International, and the stock has gone nowhere <laughs> for 10 years, but. Seems like a good quarter overall. I want to talk about, unless you have anything else on that topic, match group support. It's a very interesting one. Stock went up after hours, but went back down. Really didn't know why that always happens. Who knows? But it's always a fascinating one because they have so many moving parts at the moment. They're in that transitional period. They're launching new products. They're revamping Tinder. Maybe to kick it over to you first, what did you think about the quarter overall? What were the any highlights, any surprises, any big takeaways? Mm. I mean, when I first read the report, I was excited like most investors. And then I listened to the call and it was, I was still impressed. thought it was a good quarter, but it, just Tinder is getting better, but there isn't necessarily the growth in like downloads as much as like like revenue is a little misleading because of the pricing mix. So I was hoping to see maybe a little more color around like downloads for Tinder and they give some stuff, but they always give like a very small. It seemed okay. It, it seemed like a decent growth on downloads, but yes, I think there's more work to be done. What I thought was interesting is that the old management team seemed to focus on getting that payers growth to be so consistent, right? When in reality, <laughs> The first thing you need on the dating app is a weekly subscription. Well, the weekly subscription was very easy. And I got to say we were right. And that was, that was an, that was an anecdotal evidence thing that, (laughs) that worked out, I guess, when we were like, yeah, we could, we we would use that. But the, uh, what were they saying with that? Oh yeah. yeah. So the user, so the, 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 the most important thing is activity, but in, in reality, if you, if you get your subscription prices too low, which is get you the unlimited swipes, all that type of stuff. And mainly this is guys that are buying the subscriptions. There could be too much activity versus how many of the other, you know, the people that they're swiping on and you could overwhelm them. So I kind of think balancing that out with raising prices and lowering your overall payers isn't a bad thing as long as you're balancing revenue versus app activity and keeping people engaged. And I like that they're not focused on just growing that payers number because that's not necessarily the outcome of a healthy app. And in reality, people, when they pay for it, get slightly frustrated. Um, so honestly, the higher price stuff, I think, is the right move. Yeah. And I mean, Gary Swither, there was even like a question on the call around payers versus revenue per payer. There was a lot of questions on it. And he basically was like, listen, the only reason we give it out is because people like people like you guys, the analysts, uh, care about it. He's like, we don't think about the business like that. We could easily just put out $1 subscriptions and juice payers growth, but it hit a KPI that all you guys want. Yeah. He's like, that doesn't benefit the actual revenue line. We're just looking for anything that's really accretive to revenue. The other thing that I saw that was a little bit concerning was that they did the pricing tests in the international markets and just didn't see the benefits. Basically, it wasn't revenue accretive or people weren't, their propensity to pay wasn't quite as high. I do like, the idea of kind of this um, revamped Tinder because they're working on rolling out this kind of new product for it. So it'll be nice to see that. And I do think 
if you have kind of these shorter term subscriptions, it almost works as like a limited trial where it's like, because there's so many people that where it's, I don't want necessarily to buy a one month pass because either. When I do it, yeah, when I do it, I, I get, you know, I only use it for a couple of days and then yeah. I'm like, I'm tired of this, but I already paid, I guess. So. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, just price that perfectly and just give them a couple day pass. The other thing that was important that he mentioned was there's a lot of people that are in subscriptions already. So they're not going to see the increased prices at Tinder. So that's not going to roll through the income statement quite yet. So that should help them get to kind of that double digit constant currency growth. Again, at Tinder, I thought Hinge was incredible. Solid again. Solid again. Yep. Reaccelerated revenue. That business feels like it's going to be, I mean, downloads were up 50% year over year. It yeah. feels like that business has so much momentum. It's already, what was it? Top three downloaded app in 14 markets. And it's like just now starting its really international expansion. Yeah. And I honestly wouldn't be upset if they accelerated and I know they want to be consistent and not do it too quickly, but accelerated their marketing spend. I think they're a little, they've been hesitant in the past to do marketing spend very aggressively. And they're fixing that with Tinder. And I think honestly with Hinge, I wouldn't mind because they said the app is running at close to, I think, 30% operating margins right now. I wouldn't mind if they accelerated marketing spend, at least in the short term, to get that uh, flywheel going. I thought the other, unless you have another point here, interesting thing on Match Group was that the buyback was small, but really only at a price that was extremely low at like, I think it was below $32 a share. So on the one hand, I kind of think that's interesting that they really value being a good repurchaser of their shares. But on the other hand, I might think that they're too um, strict about it. Yeah. You know, I'm not opposed to them. Now that we've seen kind of the benefits of some of the operational improvements and the investments they made in like the workforce and kind of getting the right people in place, investing in marketing to kind of reignite some of the Tinder brand, rolling out new apps, rolling out new features. It feels like they, they used to be talking about, oh, we're we're not gonna we're stopping the buyback because we want to invest in we need to right size or we need to get the company back on track essentially. And I wasn't excited about that. But now that I'm seeing it, it's like I would much rather have a match group that's growing 10% on the top line and getting not linearly, but slowly more profitable. Um, and then maybe buy back a little bit at a time than one that's plowing so much money into buybacks that they are risking or like not necessarily operating or improving the product. Especially with know. their leverage ratio. Yeah. Cause that it's like, Match Group to me is worth so much more if it's growing and the product is improving. Yeah, than- because the momentum is just can the bigger the dating app gets, the stronger the mode is. So, or the more active, I guess, people are on it. The other thing that I like is I know they say Hinge doesn't cannibalize Tinder, but I think it probably has to some extent a little bit, especially in the US. The fact that they're still able to grow the top line for Tinder while Hinge is growing 50% downloads. That excites me. I say the overlap, the overlap is there, but it's not. It's a Venn diagram. Yeah. If, I would, in a perfect world, these are two businesses that both generate $2 billion in revenue and are 50% operating margin businesses. Yeah. Or honestly, even higher, but it kind of depends on the mix. So it's interesting is they have all these different tools and I think they have an advantage versus everyone else in this industry. And maybe we'll stop hitting on this company because if anyone wants a deep dive, we did a what was it? A couple months ago, we did a uh, podcast type, you know, Arch Capital type report, audio report on them. The one thing I will say is that they, they're they much more advantaged versus any competitor because they can balance, say, their uh, consumer pitch for Hinge versus Tinder. And they can really balance that as well as the other apps in their portfolio that are smaller. And they can really balance the marketing push, how they're talking to consumers, how they advertise the other apps on their own dating apps to get the mix of people going through all these different places. They can really balance that and have so much more flexibility versus someone that has to say, look, we have this one app. Okay. 
we got to really push this. But then, if, for example, Bumble versus Hinge is, is a pretty big overlap, I would say. Yeah. That puts Bumble in a really tough spot because while Hinge and Tinder can really balance each other out, Hinge can go after Bumble and take a lot of that market share. At least that's what I think is happening in the United States. Yeah, I guess my thoughts coming away were I like Bernard Kim and we're in a much better place than we were a year ago. Yeah, it wasn't, I would say, good, like good report. It's kind of what we're expecting, but it wasn't blowout. Yeah, I agree. Um, someone responded to me when I talked about the earnings. They're like, yeah, people are, I was like, looks like Tinder's growing again. And then someone's like, yeah, in this economy, everyone needs a partner to save money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always tell people like, they're like, nah, dude, I wouldn't pay for a dating app. And it's like better than spending hundred bucks at the bar <laughs> and not getting any luck. Yeah. It doesn't, I think the price isn't that expensive versus the, the value. I am. A, I know it's kind of saturated in the U S like it feels like most of the people that will be on dating apps are on dating apps already, but I think it does have like sort of this, it has a legitimate impact in terms of how people interact like face to face where if you're a girl or even if you're a guy 30 years ago, you meet someone in person. It's like, uh, I better like, you know, I better go talk to them. There's not that sort of existentialism now because it's like, Oh, okay. I can just go swipe my finger and plan a date or something like that. So, yeah. Or you're like, I better call them. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Other sprouts, sprouts, I guess. I don't know if we want to just cover ours, but that was pretty boring. Shopify reported. Yeah, I didn't see it. Let me, uh, I guess we follow him closely. Let me just pull it up right now. See, uh, I'll say you it. read it. Yeah. Okay. I am a Shopify hater. I'm a full blown Shopify hater. Now I think the, the quarter was okay. It was fine. Yeah. It looked pretty good, but expectations are really high. The, it just, to me, I don't know with all the management stuff that's happened lately and the like Toby being like yelling at short sellers. Did he do that again recently? Or was that? Mm, maybe it wasn't that recent, but. That was in definitely in 2021, I think, or 2022. Could, the Toby, to... the Toby. Eth. Remember that? Yeah. he did. It seems like he gets caught up in the hype cycles, which is not the end of the world. But what's weird is that the other website builder that we follow, Wix, does that same thing. <laughs> they, they've been launching. They had a solid quarter as well. Um, you want to, uh, let me just give out the numbers for any listeners. GMV gross merchandise volume grew 17%, revenue up 31%. Uh, let's see, merchant solutions, which is basically payments, up 35% to $1.3 billion. So, majority of this business is Shopify Pay at this point. GPB, which is payment volume on their own um, processor was 58% of GMV, which is up from 53%. Uh, subscription solutions grew 21%. Gross profit grew 27%. So gross margin declined again, which I guess is, you know, because of the, I believe it would be, yeah. The Shopify pay. Shopify the- pay, operating loss, 1.6 billion, but there was impairment on the logistics business. I think that deliverer thing kind of shows to me that I don't trust them as a capital allocator. Yeah. I mean, getting rid of it was the right thing to do. And there were a lot of companies that drank the Kool-Aid when, and and wanted to, I don't know, so many companies made these like acquisitions in 2020 and 2021, probably a lot of it was stock and then basically had to impair it in the next coming years. So I, I don't necessarily fault them. If you, Listen, if you're trading at 60 times earnings and you bought Deliveroo with stock, what or 60 times sales. Sorry. Sales, yeah. <laughs> um, whatever, take that swing. Okay, so what, if you have to impair it later, you impair it later. But the why are you a hater on Shopify? I need to know. It's just little things. Okay, they talked about so they talked about free cash flow margin. The free cash flow margin, first of all, it doesn't include stock-based comp, obviously. And they're increasing the stock-based compensation by quite a lot. And they sold- 280 $280 million this quarter. They had a gain on sale of marketable securities, which helped their cash flow a lot. 
and they didn't really talk about it. And then they also said we would have been operating income profitable if you exclude the, um, if you exclude the impairment. If you go in there, that is not true. They would have been adjusted operating income profitable. They don't I think see. about stock based comp. I am seeing that. Yeah, it says impairment was one point three four billion dollars and operating loss one point six four billion dollars. So yeah, I mean, look, they generate. Here's what I love to look at, and we've just talked about this with Spotify too. If we look at their gross profit generation for the quarter, $835 million. Do you want to guess what their R&D spend was? Who, sorry, who is this? Sh- Shopify. Shopify. R&D spend, I mean, it was, it was probably really high. Uh, I'd say 50% of gross profit. Oh, higher, $648 million. So yeah, your revenue is growing really quickly. And yeah, you're probably creating value, but it's taking a lot of effort here. And maybe that's increasing the vote. I mean, it's a good business, bar none. But that's not, doesn't seem very efficient to me. No. And I don't know. I sometimes think Shopify, like Toby doesn't, like Harley Finkelstein does all the comments on the press releases and stuff. And it feels like Toby kind of treats it like, oh, I'm too good for the investing community. Like you either get on, get along with our story or you don't. And it's like, it could work out. That could work out. But I guess and, Andy Jassy does the same thing. He doesn't go on the conference calls, but, but it's he a much cares about business. Sh- yeah. He cares about shareholders. I think. Uh, I don't know. It's just some of the like adjustments without saying it, the, dilution the like the the subscription revenue was up because there was price increases really um, yeah across the yeah. subscriptions and then the when they like rolled out the buy with prime they're like actually we're going to take that he's like it's not going to have this effect that everyone thinks because they announced like we're partnering with amazon for buy with prime and then the stock dropped like 10 percent. they're like it's not what everyone thinks and then they're like actually we're not going to do it so i mean Buy with Prime just seems like a big, uh, obviously not a black swan because we already know about it, but it seems like a big looming risk for me that continues. I mean, it's it, not a giant, it's not going to kill the business, but yeah. I think it's another incremental thing that if Amazon really succeeds with that, it could really hurt Shopify's ability to grow. Yeah, I keep flip-flopping on it because it's like, it feels to me like a much better um, alternative. You know, you get better fulfillment, better like uh, delivery speeds. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are on Shopify because they want to be separate from Amazon. And so they kind of want to make sure they're routing their orders through Shopify. So I don't think it was maybe what I once thought it would be. But the customer is going to want it. If it's on the website, I'm choosing buy with Prime. Yeah. So I don't know, but it, it honestly, it, getting the merchants to adopt it. Yeah, you're right. Could be very difficult. Here's, so people, you know, Shopify stocks done well over the long term. Other stocks that have these founders that seem to be very aloof and not care about shareholders or really don't, that maybe their priority for them is last or they, they don't like analysts and stuff. You know, Toby, obviously, maybe one of the worst of this. He seems to call out short sellers and stuff like that. I would look at the, the number of Golden Boy founder or one of them, Mark Zuckerberg. He cares about shareholders, he talks with them. He understands that they're one of the stakeholders in this business. And when you don't value them, it, it throws things off kilter when everyone in the call it an ecosystem, call them everyone related to the business, the management team, the employees, the shareholders, all the, uh, the customers, they all matter. And if you disregard shareholders, I don't think it's the optimal way to run your business over the long run. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's still clearly a good business, but given how much, like, given some of their commentary, it doesn't seem like they care about shareholders with the stuff where like, we're still uh, operating income profitable. And it's like, if you say that with the, with the idea that stock-based compensation isn't included in there, to me, that comes across as we're operating income profitable, except for shareholders. Yeah, true. True. Except for the money that shareholders actually get. <laughs> yeah. All right. Stock market cap, $76 billion right now. Stock's down after this report. 
What do you think Shopify three years from now? Stock up or down? I'm gonna look up their trailing 12 month revenue. I don't know. I think just it's for like reference. 13 or 14 times sales, if I remember correctly. I'm gonna doesn't yeah, gonna... gross margins are shrinking too. So it's the, like the okay. Let me look profits. up. Let me let me look up their gross profit trailing to a month. Two point eight three billion. I don't think it's updated to the latest quarter. So let's just give it a round number and say three billion gross profit versus seventy six billion dollar market cap. I think the stock is likely down three years from now. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it just kind of treads water for a while. Yeah, I mean, it could be up. Who knows? Obviously. Could be we could have another bubble. I mean, it is really good business, really good product. So I could see how it just continues to grow the top line. And then the theory is always that, you know, if they decide to get a little more efficient with their operations. Okay. But- look, if they double their gross profit, and remember the dilution is going to come through. So the market cap is going to actually be higher. If the stock price is at the same level, if they double it, it's six billion versus a seventy-six billion dollar market cap. I mean. Yeah. Well, uh we'll see. People love it they're true that's true who who loves it more though the customers or the, the shareholders i would guess the shareholders but it is crazy just to think it was 60 times sales i know it's like an obvious statement in hindsight but 60 times sales that is insane probably Dude. the craziest valuation i've heard of other than the memes and you know what maybe even the memes because they were smaller. So it's like, theoretically, it could get there or whatever. But I mean, 60 times sales on a business that has a ton of sales already is just, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I don't think I can say anything else to that. PayPal right. reported. Yeah, I didn't look at it. What'd they do? Mm, they they beat, but stock's down like 8%. The... Um, oh, I, I, I hate that stuff. They beat. Oh God. They just told the analysts what they were going to expect. And then they sandbagged it. <laughs> doesn't matter. I hate I that stuff. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the qualities. They finally rolled out tap to pay for the Venmo, which I, I think Apple was like preventing them from doing that. Yeah. So, I remember. Yeah. The, the, the NFC chip thing, uh, Google and Apple both were being very anti-competitive with that. The uh, yeah, they finally look like they're rolling that out. Cash flow was bad because of BNPL loans that they were issuing, but they're going to be selling those to KKR. It sounds like so that shouldn't be a big deal. They bought back one point five billion dollars in stock. So yeah, um, I mean you're looking see. at probably ten percent of the market cap in buybacks now. They but said yeah, they said this. Yep, they said this year five billion dollars in buybacks. So look at the stock. We're at seventy-two billion. So yeah, decent amount. Seventy-two billion dollar market cap. They're expecting revenue to grow eight percent this year, depending on you know foreign exchange can always throw things for a loop. The thing is, I, I still we talked about it on the episode we covered with the, for them. They're just getting eaten on all sides. Are attacked at all sides, and I that is a, it's a conundrum for me. I don't know whether they're gonna be able to survive getting attacked by so many companies, so many very well. We talked about Shopify not caring about shareholders, but their product execution, whether they're spending too much on it, given their R&D stuff, the, the product execution is phenomenal. Yeah, everyone seems to have their own button now. The I mean, Braintree, I'm guessing, grew pretty quickly because GMV was up 11%. Revenue was only up 7 So Braintree, they have a lower take, but it's probably driving most of, or not GMV, TPV, total payment volume. Uh, we got a question from Mr. Seymour Duck, which again, thank you for joining again. <laughs> Always a good name. He said, did you talk about Nintendo earnings yet? Uh, we did. So I'd probably listen to the replay. We covered that right at the beginning, correct? Yeah, I'd say one sentence summary. We like the quarter, but no one really knows how to look at the business, including ourselves. In some cases, like it's hard to predict what's going to happen in the next year. So yeah, I wouldn't 
here's I think yeah another the other takeaway in Nintendo is I don't know if I would expect multiple expansion, but if we're correct over the long term and the company generates four or five billion dollars in cash per quarter at least, or not excuse excuse me per year at least, then it's not going to matter because they're going to generate more than their entire market cap in cash. So things will be fine. Like they'll either return it to shareholders or do something or the stock will go up. But I wouldn't expect a big multiple re-rating in the short term because people, it's really Nintendo's fault because they don't give out good guidance. They don't give out good KPIs besides just the video game unit sales. So yeah, I wouldn't expect yeah. it's not going to be something that jumps because of some change in business or some guidance thing, some long-term guidance. I guess if they launch the new console and it does well, it'll probably go up. But I think the most important thing, other from the quarter, one other takeaway, active players continue to grow. Yeah. A couple of things. First of all, revisiting Google's quarter. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking about just making that my entire Roth IRA. It feels <laughs> indestructible, frankly. Yeah, and the more you think about it, and maybe you're just convincing yourself too much, but I agree. Uh, yeah. The other thing, mm. Apple reports today in three hours. Anecdotal evidence: I bought a new iPhone. Okay. What so didn't didn't yours expect like, an iPhone beat? Yeah, didn't yours? Some was up with yours, right? Or was it old? Yeah, it was just uh screen was just busted. It, it didn't work anymore. But that's a big part of their model. I gotta say. <laughs> Maybe, but they let me sell it back to them for like that's true. I will say they make the transition process very, very easy. Just went to an ATT store. They said, you know, if you buy this one, we'll give you, I think they valued my old crappy phone at $350 back. And I was like, eh, all right. And then it becomes I don't know. They just have a, such an easy way of making it seem affordable. Like oh, yeah. it was like, all right, it'll be like $12 a month for three years for this brand new phone. And they're like, the well, best. Yeah. I mean, they're the best by far. There's no one, none of their competitors are even close with that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I did ask, you know, when like, sometimes you try to get like some scuttlebutt and people look at you like, just like leave me alone. The, at the AT&T store, I was like, so how, you know, do you sell a lot of Google phones? Do you, you know, like trying to get like scuttlebutt on pixels or whatever? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, why do you care? I'm kind of like, but uh, they I said mean, they sell like probably mostly iPhones, but a lot of Android based devices. Yeah. I mean, like more than they, more than I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, it is over 30% of the market. Um, but it is obviously, you know, the younger excuse more Apple, the, yeah, but it was interesting. I think in that market, Apple's going to retain its lead. I would say it's pretty obvious, but and maybe, maybe I'm chasing them. I don't know. But the most interesting thing I think is Google pixels trying to take market share from Samsung. I think that's going to be the most interesting thing. Cause it seems to me like Google is investing heavily into this hardware line to steal that market share. They're not competing with Samsung, but they can sell it at below cost and make it up in services. Hey, it's Android either way, isn't it? Right. But Samsung, they, they, you know, pay money to Samsung for, yeah, not for Android, but all the other stuff, Google search, stuff like that. All right. We got seven minutes. Any other companies, any other things you saw this week? Hmm. I'm trying to think of any anecdotal evidence I have. <laughs> it was more Zen <laughs> anecdotal evidence, I gotta say. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> like everyone once you get to college and beyond, it seems it is everyone's vice at this point. Yeah. Um the conservatives still hate Bud Light. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have some you have some ex- yeah. anecdotals? <laughs> Yeah, I have some anecdotals there. Uh, I don't know. Besides that, I don't know. It's been so busy with earnings. The uh, there's just a I lot kinda, to, to sift through. Yeah, I think I said this last quarter, but I'm gonna continue. I think I'm gonna start a petition that we have to space out earnings. That it's just gonna be like 
everyone has a different calendar year and we're going to try to make it like it's either the Nasdaq or the New York Stock Exchange's responsibility to make sure it's evenly spaced out so that we can like not have it all not be super busy for two weeks. And it's probably yeah. way worse for all the like freaking the lower level junior analysts at these big firms that have to hop on their PMs earnings calls. I always find Probably, that. Yeah, yeah. Any, any earnings call funnies this, this, uh, this earnings season. Yeah. Any funny, uh, no, nah, just had, the, we, the, we work one we read was interesting when they started yelling at the analysts basically or getting into a fight. Uh, on the match group one, there was some guy that was, I think it was the match group one. They were like, he, uh, the, the operator was like, okay, we've got blah, blah, blah from Evercore ISI or something like that. And then it's like, no one came through. There was just no voice. And then at the end, he's like, ah, finally I'm back. And then he's like, sorry, I was on two calls at once. I had picked the other one. It's like, I know. All right. Just, you can't have your, your intern ask the question. Okay, yeah. Okay. Two, I have two thoughts to end it and they will only hit one. If this one goes long after, because I know the Spotify report was strange. It's always hard to digest. And it's been a week later. Cause I think we talked about it like the day after last week. Any other thoughts? Has anything changed or really the same? Mm. No, I'm a little frustrated. I would say I'm, I'd say I'm more frustrated maybe than I was a week ago with them. It's good to see the user growth, but it's hard to see them really getting operating efficient. I read your article about them, and you know, oh, it's a fool on the fool. Yeah. There we go. Thank you for yeah. helping my bonus. <laughs> if you strip out those uh, those charges or whatever that they said, like oh, we had a lot of one-time charges, they're still not profitable, and they're not anywhere near a level where it justifies the valuation. So. I don't know. It is frustrating to me. It's frustrating reading their talk about free cash flow because, okay, they did $9 million in free cash flow this quarter on $3 billion in gross profit. And they were like, while free cash flow will fluctuate, we've been consistently free cash flow positive. And it's basically just trended down over the last three years because it's whatever, an investment period. Stock-based compensation is up 4x, almost 5x in the last, since 2018. Now it's probably, that probably synced up with the IPO, but still that is like, it feels like all the stuff we complain about for a company like Shopify, where it doesn't feel that shareholder friendly. It seems like Spotify has a lot of those same traits. Yeah. And we gave them until the end of the year to prove us wrong and they're halfway through and and say, if they do the same thing, the next two quarters, we will be... Most likely, you know, obviously there's other variables, most likely out of the picture, which is unfortunate because we think the business has so much, such long-term prospects, great long-term prospects. And these are fixable issues to just get a little more efficient. Yeah. It's frustrating, but you can't just wish it, you know, if it never happens, uh, you just say we were wrong. All right. Uh, we have two minutes left. I want to tease because next week, I think we have a very exciting episode. We're doing an Arch Capital episode on Coupon, a company we have on our watch list that we think is super interesting. I've been one, I, I'm the person that follows it a little more closely every quarter. You've been freshening up on it as we're about to record it after this. A little tease. What was uh, anything surprise you looking back at this? Uh, that they're frankly so profitable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It seems like Bom Suk Kim, the CEO, really has a good grasp on how to run the business. Dilution has not been too bad at all for them. They've been growing. Um I what was I gonna say? Oh, the other thing was it was kind of interesting reading that they had a fire at the fulfillment center and it had such a big impact on the business because it feels like you just never read anything like that anymore. Yeah. Um, Curate though. Curate had that. I'm not really. Kidding. Oh, that's <laughs> but, right. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I was pretty impressed with the business. It there was a lot to like. The gross margin improvement's been really pretty. Does it cool to watch? <laughs> Does it make you more bullish on coupon? Obviously, price. You know, we're kind of 
that's kind of holding us back a little teaser. We'll do the episode and kind of go through the numbers, but does it make you more bullish on Coupon or Amazon? Because <laughs> it makes me bullish on Amazon since they're similar models. Yeah. I mean, with Coupon, it, it's such a denser population. So it's, I don't know. It feels like the the margins margin potential there is so much higher. So I thought it was cool that I don't know if it really has any bearings on my thoughts on Amazon. Honestly, it's just two totally different markets. It feels like. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good tease uh, as we close out this episode. I guess Ryan, you're leading it today, but yeah, that episode will be out. If you're listening to this on Sunday, it'll be out next episode on Tuesday. Yeah, and I'll say I kind of like the WeWork one too. So feel free to listen to that because that is a fascinating story. The that is going to do it though. It's ten thirty on the West Coast, one thirty on the East Coast. This was the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. We should remind listeners because we talked about a bunch of our holdings today that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital and clients do have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. 